Welcome to Infinite Earth Radio. We believe that in a world of finite natural resources, a smart and sustainable future is only possible by lifting up people and unleashing unlimited human potential. Infinite Earth Radio will not only help you learn from bright visionary civic leaders who are building smarter, more inclusive and sustainable communities, but you'll discover how you can bring these ideas to your community. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Hancocks and Vernice Miller-Travis. Welcome back to Infinite Earth Radio, where we talk with thought leaders and change agents who are transforming the future by building smarter, more sustainable, and more equitable businesses and communities. This is Kate Meese, Executive Director of the Local Government Commission and host for our regular monthly series on smart growth and livable communities, where we discuss ways to create equitable communities that provide better housing, transportation, and economic opportunities for all residents. Today as our guest, we are honored to have Mayor Christopher Cabaldon of West Sacramento in California. Christopher Cabaldon was first elected as Mayor of West Sacramento in 1998 and is serving his ninth term. He is the first Mayor of West Sacramento directly elected by voters after serving three terms on the City Council. Mayor Cabaldon is Chair of the U.S. Conference of Mayors, Jobs, Education and Workforce Committee, and is one of the nation's leading mayors on innovation, ports and exports, civil rights, and education. Mayor Cabaldon's work on issues spanning from transportation and housing to water management and economic development has won numerous awards and has become a model for effective regional action. So Mayor Cabaldon, thank you so much for coming on the podcast to discuss emerging mobility trends with us. It's great to be with you, Kate. So I'm thrilled to have you on because you've been able to represent a smaller city's perspective at the national and international level, which is really critical because I think it's easy to fall into the trap of thinking about technical innovation as purely an urban phenomenon. But changes in the transportation sector clearly are affecting communities of all sizes. And in fact, I just read that Uber is in over 172 jurisdictions in California, and 102 of those, so about 60% of which have populations under 30,000. So this is an issue really affecting all of our communities. So can you speak to us a little bit about how the rapid changes in the mobility sector have impacted your community in West Sacramento? Well, we've seen them in the affect the city in a lot of different ways. And you're absolutely right, both the impact, but also what your menu of responses might look like for a smallish city as opposed to a Boston or a Chicago or a New York or a San Francisco might be. It's pretty fundamentally different. And your ability to drive the market is also pretty much zero. So where some of the large cities can sort of announce comprehensive initiatives where it's staffed by an entire office of innovation In a city like mine, you kind of have to roll with the punches a little bit while looking for the opportunities uh, that pop up here and there to test, to innovate, and to kind of evolve the community at the same time as the technology, and and one cannot leave the other. So, of course, like everyone else, as as you indicated, the advent of Uber and Lyft have had a significant impact on mobility in the community, but not in the ways that that it has in the large cities, because like most cities of 55,000 people, we never regulated taxis in the first place. So a lot of the regulatory challenges around the system of taxis and that sort of thing that other large cities faced weren't an issue here. And uh, that in some ways has allowed us to be a bit more nimble and also for market players to do things here that 
they might not be able to accomplish elsewhere. So it's one example. At the same time that we don't control those larger, if we wanted Uber to do, and we did, a special project just to help us get um, student interns to internships or to work-based learning opportunities, uh, we're too little to say to Uber, hey, why don't you go come try a pilot project here? And so our challenge and our opportunity really has been looking for those moments where we might be able to do something impactful without necessarily deluding ourselves into thinking we we run the world and that we can change our entire system in some sort of comprehensive way all at once. You mentioned the importance of involving community members, and you made a, a comment at the last meeting we were at where this issue came up about the inability or inaccuracy that we have in predicting how our future selves will react to these services. And I think we saw that related to the idea of getting into a stranger's car with Uber and Lyft and a number of the sharing economy platforms. So can you talk about how you're involving the community in that that challenging space when it's so hard to anticipate what our reaction will be to something maybe even harder to imagine like autonomous vehicles. Yeah, it's really true that you know, for just as human beings, when we hear about some new change coming, there's a part of us that uh, you know gets excited about it, but then our brains almost instantly go to all of the things that could go wrong. <laughs> you know, all of the challenges, all of the consequences that we hadn't imagined, uh, which are important in terms of planning, but we, we tend not to then compare them to all the things that are going wrong with the current system. And also, not we're not able to imagine uh, the benefits and the systemic changes that can emerge from some of these changes as well. And so what we're trying to do is not focus so much on asking people, what do you think about, just like we did with Uber and Lyft, what do you think about ride sharing? We don't ask folks, what do you think about autonomous vehicles? Because that's not going to be a choice for very many people just all at once. You know, folks are saying, okay, I, I have cruise control. Now I have cameras in the back of my car. Now my car can do a little of this, a little of that. And just one day you have an autonomous vehicle, or maybe you don't have an autonomous vehicle because you're now purchasing or renting essentially a car as you need it, different kinds of cars. But asking folks for their opinions about technological change, which they don't control and neither do we, isn't particularly useful. And you get you get inordinately conservative answers. Instead, we try to focus on like, okay, what are your pain points? <laughs> you know, what what in your daily life right now? Forget the technology in your daily life. What's a challenge? And if so, if someone says. Well, I don't want to have a car and I, or I can't afford a car, but I have to walk nine blocks to the nearest bus stop because I don't live in the, in the most dense part of the community. I have to walk nine blocks to the bus stop, potentially in the rain or 100 degree heat. And then I have to wait uh, 45 minutes to an hour and 45 minutes for the bus. And then that bus is going to take me close to an hour to go for two and a half miles to my destination because it has to snake through all the suburbs to pick up other people. And so either the system treats me like time is not an issue and I have unlimited amounts of it, or I just don't use the transit system at all. So understanding better where people's journeys are so that when technological innovations come forward, we can say, okay, is this one that's actually meeting, has the potential to meet a real need and under what conditions and what design principles uh, might guide it? Not in a waterfall planning sense of trying to figure out every possible thing that could work or not work, but trying to get a sense of where are the likely things that we could test in, in ways that will meet people's more fundamental needs. So really, really going heavy and kind of design thinking, human-centered design, but around what we as humans know, which is our own experience, as opposed to our opinions about larger social trends and technological change. I think your comments about the pain points are really important from the context of, of how we how we plan to move forward, but also from the perspective and the realization that the system we have now is far from ideal. So while the ride-hailing services and autonomous vehicles have raised a lot of safety and liability concerns, we also should be cognizant of the fact that 
on average, over 3,000 people die a day in road crashes. So how do we balance the important conversations we should and need to be having about safety and liability with the clear-eyed realization that the system we have now is far from perfect as well? Yeah, that's exactly right. And in some sense, it's a redesign of how government works and a little bit about how we think about what democracy really means. Because democracy is kind of the way we traditionally think about it is about making a decision. And uh, it's already the truth that in government, most of what we're doing is a long sequence, or not even a sequence, a long branch chain of interrelated and interdependent decisions, none of which is the decision. Uh, We know that in the planning world, when we put a new project in the general plan, and when we vote on that, or if you go to a community workshop, hopefully you know the likelihood that it's going to turn out that way when it's all done is pretty close to zero. But then you have a whole other process to figure out the zoning code, and then another project process to do the infrastructure, you know, each of the infrastructure elements around it. And then a private developer actually has to propose doing it. And then you do a hearing on the project itself. So it's each of those steps, which might be, it might be two years, it might be 20 years, are all related and some, it's changing and it's iterating. And we've got to do the same thing in the mobility sector because the technology is definitely moving very quickly in that space, but it's challenging the way that we think about these issues. So one example is we're grappling with dockless everything, dockless bike share, dockless electric scooters. And it challenges our sense about what is the sidewalk for and who should be able to use it and what about the bike lane. And uh, we want to be presented with, here's a clear decision. Here's exactly how you know, electric scooters are going to work. And here are the consequences. Now make a choice once and for all. But what is the essential in terms of how we redesign the way that this works is to instead start doing some trying things out, seeing what happens, seeing what works, in some sense, testing demand by providing supply of stuff that never existed before. Just as we've been doing with kind of uh, mixed use, denser housing, when we used to ask people a decade ago, would you want that or not? They're like, uh, no, I've never heard of that. But now, you know, now it's one of our most popular forms of housing. The same thing is going to be happening on the transportation side. And so designing decision processes and community engagement strategies that not just allow for, but anticipate and encourage evolutions in the way that we think and interact and are willing to kind of live and let live and try things out, I think is going to be just as important as paying attention to what's the latest technology. And you've alluded to this, but the approach you're taking in West Sacramento, this iterative approach is is in stark contrast to what a lot of cities are doing with the waterfall approaches, as you called it, with trying to imagine everything that could go wrong wrong and building regulations around that, which is hard to imagine given that this is a new space. So I, I think it's really interesting what you guys are doing. One of the big challenges that have has surfaced in the spaces around procurement. And I know that um, you guys have been looking at ways where you can bring in more of that innovation. So can you speak a little bit to what you're doing on the procurement side? Yeah, procurement is the Achilles heel of, all, of a lot of municipal innovation, simply because the rules, which are well-intended, are, are there to assure that uh, you're not awarding sweetheart contracts and that the city government's paying attention They require us to, you know, specify exactly what it is that we want to buy. And then whoever can do the cheapest, we're supposed to take a a contract with them. That can work in certain things like, you know, buying yet another ream of paper. But when what what you're trying to procure is a solution to a a solution in a generic sense, not not a particular technology or particular approach, because you may not know what the set of available answers are, much less the best one. When you're trying to procure that solution, it becomes very challenging because the procurement process are procurement processes assume that that the product and the technology, the things are just like a ream of paper and they're fixed. We know exactly what they are. So, for example, when we wanted to um, look at, at next generation transit and mobility, we either had to issue an RFP that was for a specific thing 
Like we want, we want somebody, we want folks to respond to a, a plan to provide uh, ride sharing throughout our, th- in the following zones of the city at the following price, in the following ways at the following times of day. And now who can do it the cheapest? We either had to do that or we had to say who has a great mobility solution and whichever one's the cheapest we're going to take. And neither of those approaches make any sense. The first one assumes that we know everything. And the second one assumes that we don't care about what the actual shape of the solution looks like. And so we're trying to test the boundaries of some of those procurement rules. And I think in the way that we're doing our shared mobility pilot right now that we just launched this week, that is we're up against the edge of that. And we looked at a lot of other proposals in the same space, but it's a work in progress. And hopefully we'll be able to show for our partners in state government and the legislature that you could make some changes to some of the state leg- regulations around procurement that would preserve and potentially enhance the integrity and transparency of the process while also allowing it to be much more solution focused. You know, on that solution side, it's it's really exciting to see the new pilots that are taking place on microtransit and especially from some of the smaller communities or mid-sized communities, the partnership with Sacramento Regional Transit providing on-demand Microtransit to Carmichael and a number of Citrus Heights, a number of other, I guess Citrus Heights, not Carmichael, and expanding to a couple other communities. We're seeing this in Monrovia. Um, I'd love to hear a little more about West Sacramento's partnership with VIA. But I think this ability to not just provide different mechanisms for mobility, but to actually increase mobility, and in some of these examples, in a way that is actually at um, an even cost or at a smaller cost to municipalities. That's really exciting, especially in areas that have become really transportation or mobility deserts. So can you talk a little bit about your partnership with VIA and then also the bike share project that you guys just got started? A moment ago to the, you know, kind of one of the fundamental challenges that we face, not just in our community, but most places that are not as dense and as mixed in their uses as as Manhattan or San Francisco, we just have the, the challenge of traditional public transit is very hard to make work for either the agency side in terms of its sustainable revenues and and funding, but particularly for the individual. And so what we do have, and whether they're mobility desert or they're just areas of uh, low mobility in general, you know, plenty of areas where it's very, very challenging to use the bus system. And it's not because we don't have an excellent one, we do, but it's just impossible given our land use patterns to operate on 15 minute headways within a couple of blocks of, of every person's home and destination you know, at all hours of the day and evening. So it's essentially impossible. And so there are a lot of trips that just don't happen or that people are not able to move to areas in our city that are better matched for affordability or for schools or to their employment. And so we're trying to solve that challenge through this shared mobility pilot with VIA. We said, look, could we deliver the on-demand customized service of a closer to Uber and Lyft while doing it at closer to the cost for the rider of public transit? Is it Could it be possible to accomplish that? So that's what we've rolled out. And so, you know, last week, if you're a resident of some neighborhoods in our city, you were in that situation where you have to walk eight blocks in order to find a bus in the heat or the rain, wait a long time for it, and then have it take uh, forever to get where you needed to go because it was doing the same thing for everyone else. So you were spending a, a couple hours taking a trip. Or if you could afford it, maybe you were taking that same trip in only 15 minutes, but you were spending $10 on an Uber ride. Those were the two choices. Now, this week, now that we've launched this microtransit pilot, either by phone or by your smartphone, by phone call or or the smartphone app, you know, you can order up a ride. And within a few minutes, there's a Mercedes showing up at your door, Mercedes van at your door within a block or so. 
that can then take you to your destination or within a block or so with maybe one or two other folks in the van sharing the different parts of the ride. That's a fundamentally different experience from being transit dependent and transit abandoned uh, one day to having a Mercedes come pick you up on demand is a fundamental transformation in the quality of that experience, but also in just what you can do now in terms of picking up your kids from childcare, visiting grandma, going to work, all the, you know, the essentials that make your daily life possible. So that's what we were trying to drive at. And it works. And for us, and I think the reason why you're seeing it in places like West Sacramento and Citrus Heights and, and elsewhere in the country and more in smaller places is that we function as a broker of transit and transportation services. We are not the agency that operates those services. And therefore, that allows us to be a bit more nimble. We can simply say, hey, Yola Bus, we're going to order a little less uh, bus service and we're going to have a little bit more of this on-demand microtransit or vice versa. We can do that at any one moment. It allows us to turn on a dime in a way that a transit agency struggles with. It's one of the reasons why I think what regional transit in Sacramento is doing is so exciting because they're different. They are a full-blown transit system, and they're showing that even they, at their scale, can innovate. But I think in general, the case has been that it's been smaller places that have been able to turn on a dime. Yeah, and it's really exciting. Even the Sacramento Regional Transit example, they're estimating the average wait time is 11 minutes, which isn't too much longer than I'm waiting for an Uber or Lyft. So it's really exciting. And the example of Monrovia, they were paying a little under $20 to subsidize uh, the dial-a-ride service. And now they're paying $5.77 to subsidize Uber and Lyft. And they're serving four to five times as many people. So we're able to do this in a way that provides a number of different wins. I want to touch on the the transportation broker piece a little more. So one of the challenges that has come up, especially with the private providers like Uber and Lyft, is how do we balance the concern about equity of service and access and things like ADA compliance? How do we look at these? Is this something that we need to be thinking about per mobility service, or should we be taking a broader view when we think about stacking these different needs across mobility sectors? Yeah, I think both, but essential is in the stack. So you know, as an example, the VIA service that we're now operating, they're a month behind in production, but we will be getting uh, wheelchair accessible ADA compliant vans as well, starting in just a couple of weeks. But really what is important is that the whole system of mobility is meeting the, the, that wide variety of need. I think one of the challenges in government is that we're, we are used to trying to make everything perfect. So we'll say, okay, there. If you're thinking about electric uh, scooters or um, hover skateboards that go in the air, they must be uh, hailable by telephone, not just by a smartphone, and they have to be wheelchair wheelchair accessible, what have you. And the challenge when when you do that with every single option, especially some of the more in, the newer technological innovations, they just don't work, and often they don't make sense. And what what you're really trying to do is assure in this system, are we assuring universal mobility for all? regardless of income and affordability challenges, regardless of different abilities, that it's possible and easy and convenient and affordable for everyone to be able to get the mobility that they need. It's That's a system level concern, not a, not individual pieces. I mean, the chances that I'm going to that I'm going to be riding on a um, airborne skateboard, a, a, you know, back to the future hoverboard are pretty low. <laughs> so it really is. I don't want the system to be designing that particular option to be perfect for me, too. There are other options that are going to be more suited to my needs. And what I, what I expect as a citizen is that government will be assuring that, that no one gets left behind and that there's a breadth of interconnected options that are available for all. So what what is your leverage as a policymaker moving forward and how does your role as a transportation broker 
change and evolve as these companies become more and more powerful and um, have control over more modes within the mobility sector, Uber being an example of looking at bike share in these different modes under one platform. So what leverage do you have moving forward and what can local governments do to ensure that they have that equity across the portfolio? It's a great question. And uh, I worry about this every single day. Right now, we, we do have a lot of tools and we, and we will into the future too. I mean, for example, we control the right of way and the public realm. And there is a lot of power in it, just in that fundamentally, because virtually all of the modes of transportation that exist today and that you can imagine, even if they're in our airspace, will be within that public realm and public right away. So that is an important tool that we have only begun to chip away at, to think about how to use that appropriately. And that's true in a whole lot of domains, technology with, with augmented reality and other sorts of things, what the ownership and property rights of the public realm are to serve the public, I think are going to come into a focus like they have not in a century as one of those tools. We have other utilities or other communication platforms matter as well. But you mentioned Uber and Uber's acquisition of Jump and Bikeshare. On the one hand, that sort of consolidation has huge benefits in part because the coordination of trips and of payments allows for the linking of modes to be as seamless as possible. So if I, you know, if I you know, hop off an Uber and onto a Bikeshare, and it's the same app and it's the same payment experience, it increases the likelihood I'm going to use that bike share system and it makes both of them as alternatives to single occupancy vehicles much more attractive. At the same time, if all the major transportation mobility options are within the Uber app only, then Uber is the one is deciding what mobility options are available to the citizens of, of West Sacramento and not the city or the citizens themselves necessarily. And so I don't know what the answer is, but this is definitely one of the issues payment and trip planning and other sorts of platform questions, for example, that, that city leaders have to pay attention to going forward, maybe even more so than the specific technologies. So rather than deciding, okay, here's a set of rules for, for electronic scooters, here's a completely different set of rules for dogless bike share, and here's another set of rules for, for hoverboards. Those are useful to some extent, both for other city leaders, I definitely would counsel spend more time thinking about how the system's going to work, how it's going to come together, and how you both collaborate with and assure that there's appropriate public control and accountability with respect to the private sector partners. Yeah, I think the other piece that I love your thoughts on is how we we prioritize the space for other community goals. So mobility and access and equity is a big piece of this, but then there are also the environmental goals that a number of communities have with respect to air quality and climate change. I'm wondering how, as we move forward, you're thinking about balancing issues like vehicle miles traveled as we're making mobility cheaper and easier. So uh, assuming that the normal rules apply, more people will, will consume more of it as it's easier to do so um, and more convenient. So how are you thinking in the West, in the city of West Sacramento about balancing environmental goals and equity goals and health goals with the mobility platforms that you're looking at? We are thinking about it. <laughs> but we, I, we don't pretend yet to have a framework for really thinking about that well trying to account for both some of the challenges that we know we're going to face, but also some of the opportunities that will open up. So, for example, if automated vehicles uh, create more trips, but also free up more public space and public realm for other, for other things. And a lot of that space exists, at least in our city, in the neighborhoods and in the communities that economically have been the most left behind, that there may be opportunities in that space. And we're trying to understand, okay, why we care about vehicle miles traveled is because of congestion, it's because of pollution, it's because of time away from 
loved ones and from things that you love in the community, right? So what, what VMT, if you unpack that over the longer run, how do you balance those issues out? And from a social justice and environmental perspective. So we are trying to add those in, add a little bit in each time as we take these processes on. The challenge for me and for most mayors and other city officials is how to be at once iterative and experimental and try and build and co-create this whole system. And at the same time, trying to understand it all and make it comprehensive simultaneously. And so many days, it feels like the second piece is way above my my mental capacity or my pay grade, but it is essential for cities to think about. Even if we don't have the answers, we have to keep asking the questions. Doesn't mean we don't we don't act, but we have to keep asking exactly the question that you asked each time is how will this add or subtract to our other objectives? And if we don't know the answer, then how will we know the answer? And how do we assess that over time? Well, thank you so much. I'm afraid we're out of time. America Balden, thanks for joining us. It's always such a pleasure to talk to you. I, I learn so much every time. Me too. Thanks so much, Kate. And thank you all for listening. We look forward to seeing you next time on Infinite Earth Radio. Infinite Earth Radio is a podcast produced by Skio in association with the Local Government Commission. To learn more about Skio, Infinite Earth Radio guests, or how you can make a difference in your community, visit our website at infiniteearthradio.com or join us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash infiniteearthradio and Twitter by following at infiniteearthradio.com.